I'm so excited. What about you, Sharon? Yes, I am very excited. I'm so excited to finally see the vision unfolding. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Always Something Podcast. First, Sharon nor I have an addiction problem. However, we have been impacted by family members who have an addiction problem. I was thinking for a while, how could I help people tell their stories that in turn could possibly help others? So I called Sharon and Always Something Podcast was born. And we are not here to pass judgment. We're not here to get any type of formal instruction. It's all about the conversation, all about sharing your stories. It's all about apples and trees. We will have a guest at every show that will share their experiences. We will also share our own Always Something moment. It's not just about one specific addiction, but about various addictions. Any addiction that you may be experiencing, we are anxious for you to come and share your story with us. Sharon, are you ready to get our first show started? Yes, I am. Okay, today our first guest is Tim. Hello, everybody. Hi. I'm excited that you're here too, Tim. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're happy for that. So let's let's get started. And you telling us your story of what it's like to grow up with a family of addicts. Absolutely. So I'm an oldest. I'm the oldest child of three boys. And we grew up in a little town on the Ohio River, a small little mine or a steel mill town. So a lot of the people, the, the husbands worked at the steel mill, the wives stayed at home, took care of the children. And that's how it was in our family. Very small town where everybody knew everybody. My father was a compulsive gambler. To this day, he still claims he's not got a problem. And I'll share with you what it was like growing up with a compulsive gambler. Not only that, my mother, whose family we were very close to, had two brothers and two sisters, and three of them were alcoholics. And one was a functioning alcoholic. So her entire family was alcoholics. So I had surrounded by a gambler and alcoholics my entire life as a child going all the way through high school, through college. And it was a tumultuous childhood, to say the least. I can really get into some details. It's kind of sad, but it was a situation where it was very unsure. You weren't sure of your footing. Nothing was stable within the household ever, ever, ever. And when I start to share stories, it brings up those bad memories of not having enough ever. So imagine my father would get paid on Friday. On Saturday, he was broke. He wouldn't go to the grocery store. We wouldn't have groceries for the week. He didn't pay the electric bill. We'd go to my grandmother's and live for a few days. I remember getting up and taking a shower. The gas was turned off, but we had electric we had to take cold showers to go to school because there was no gas, no food, no utilities, no father. Half the time he was gone, he was out 
feeding his addiction at the racetrack. When he wasn't working, he was gambling. He was playing cards. He was doing whatever. And my mom did her best to stay at home and take care of us children. And me being the oldest, I took a lot of that responsibility on trying to help my mother, especially when I got older, old enough to get a job. And my dad was still gambling. And funny thing, not really, my first paycheck, my dad cashed. I was asleep. He took my paycheck. He cashed it. He gave me some of the money and said, this is all you need. The rest of the money I took because you take my car to work and it paid for gas. And he gambled with it. So that was my entire childhood. If you can imagine, I try to block it up. No, going to high school, imagine I didn't get a high school jacket. I didn't get a high school ring. We always had clothes that were hand-me-downs from our cousins because they were just a couple ages older than all of us, which was very lucky for us, right? And sometimes they were nice clothes. But even like going to school to get lunch, my dad would scream and yell because I asked for 50 cents. Back when I was a kid, it was 50 cents for lunch, right? And he would yell and scream because I had to have 50 cents. And he would say, this is all you're getting, that kind of a thing. I, I can paint an awful picture of him. And what's really crazy is today I talk to him. So I have a, he forgets all of that. He doesn't remember that, but he still gambles which is odd. So I let it go. I don't, I don't bother. But if you, if you wanted to, my mom, we always joked she was going to write a, a, a cookbook, how to live on $5 a week. She would stretch everything that we had. Go to, he'd give her, I'll never forget, give her a $20 bill and say, this is all you get. And she'd go to the grocery store and get groceries for three boys, growing boys. We weren't allowed to have gallons of milk. We had to have powdered milk because my mom would have to mix it with water, you know, to make more of it. One year we had a garden. We lived out of the garden. Fried green tomatoes is one of my favorite things. <laughs> I love my fried green tomatoes, but that's what we lived on one summer, you know? So I, I hate to, I'm painting a, a, a sad picture and it really was. What kept us going was my mother. And my mother always said, you know, money can't buy love. I hated her saying that. Oh, right. I hated to hear that as true as it is. And her family embraced us and they all knew what was going on. But it was like, my mom would say, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And I don't know how she did it, but my mother never worked, never drove a car, never flew in a plane, was totally reliant upon my father. And she felt trapped. She couldn't get out. So she had to live that life. And so she chose that. I used to get mad at her and say, mom, why don't you divorce him? Get out. Let's get out. Let's get out. You know, she didn't have the strength to do it or the courage. Plus, she kind of knew what addiction was because she was raised that way as well. Her father, my grandfather, who I never met, died in a bar. Died in a bar, drinking. Okay, that's what she was born and raised with. Was, he was drinking all the time. And you know what's funny? My mom never drank. My mom never did drugs. My mom never did anything. She was not addicted to anything other than she was addicted to addicts. She knew how to, to deal with them. So it was a, it was a horrible childhood. There was good parts. I know we're not here to talk about the good parts. So don't get me wrong. It wasn't like that every single day. One year, my dad hit at the racetrack and we got bikes for Christmas. That was a big deal. But how inconsistent. Because one year we got an Atari and we all three had to share it. You know, and we could tell when we get other people's toys as well. They were secondhanded some Christmas, some Christmases. We didn't get hardly anything at all. So um, it just wasn't consistent. It became our normal way of life. That's how I knew how to live. 
And I didn't really know it was different until we would visit other people's homes. And then I would be like, wait, you're like this all the time. You can open the cupboard and eat any kind of cereal you want. You know, that's how it works. Cause that's not how it is where I live. And then we became embarrassed. Okay. Then that the embarrassment and the, and being ashamed, not wanting anybody to come to your house, never throwing parties at your place because they would see you didn't have anything. They would see what you lived like. So Uh, And I carried that with me all through my adulthood, but that's another story for another time. Hopefully that gives you an idea, a glimpse into my my life of addiction. This is Pat, Tim. Um, So you say you still talk to your father. Have you forgiven your father? Have you been able to forgive him? Yes. Yes, I have. There was one Father's Day. I never called my father ever. I always called my mother on Mother's Day and she's no longer with us. But I would call my mother, not my father. And one Father's Day, I called him. And you could just hear the emotion on the other side. He couldn't believe I was calling him. I'd gotten in one of those spiritual moments when I said, let's forgive, right? Let's move on. I need to do this for me, not for him. But what I found out is as soon as I started to bring up things, because he he beat us as well with a belt. He would be angry. He was that person. Imagine an addict who doesn't have their drugs, how angry they are. They want it. You know, he would be like that when he was broke and couldn't get to a card game for another week until he got paid. He would be angry and be at the house and he would beat us. I brought it up to him on the phone. He got so defensive and so upset and claiming that never, ever happened that I realized that was getting me nowhere. Just stop that conversation. Let him think what he wants to think. Forgive him. Right. At the end of the day, what I truly believe is my mother and father did the best they could with what they had. I believe in that. He didn't think to himself, I'm going to, I'm going to go get married. I'm going to have three boys. I'm going to ignore them. I'm not going to raise them. I'm going to mistreat them. That wasn't his goal. I did the addiction overrode him. So today I've forgiven him because I had to for myself. Otherwise I'd be carrying that anger inside of me. I have a brother who's never forgiven him who lives with that anger and that venom and that hurt inside of him every single day of his life. And that's not me. Hope that answered your question, Pat. (laughs) So Tim, this is Sharon. I just wanted. Yes. I can't relate to so much of what you're saying, Tim. You totally relate to so much of that. And I was just wondering, you know, going back to your nine or 10 year old self, Mm -hmm. you could go back that far and pitch your little Tim back then. You know, what? what is it that little Tim never got to say that you wish you could have said back then? Or have you said those things? You know, I wish I had a, a father that was present. When I was nine or 10, I needed a father figure to help guide me and protect me to feel safe. I never felt safe, you know? And that was a pivotal time, you know, right before those teenage years. And as I started to get involved in school and do different things and activities, he never came. My mom would go to everything. And I just wanted him to, I wanted him to support me. There was a time, and this is not, this just gives you an idea what my father was like. Mm-hmm. Around that age, Sharon, that you're talking about, I was in the spelling bee and I won the spelling bee. And I won our building bee and I won the city bee. And I was going to the county representing the state. And I misspelled violin and my dad spelled it to me the whole way home. I can't believe you don't know how to spell violin. V-I-O-L-I-N. V-I-O-L-I-N. Because I embarrassed him. The one activity he went to, because he had to drive because it was a county, you know, I couldn't get there on my own. He had to drive me there. 
And, um, and when I misspelled that word, he was so embarrassed and ashamed. He spelled it to me the whole way home. So imagine what that did to me. To this day, I carry that, <laughs> that memory. Not a good memory. Mm-hmm. I wish he would have been the other. I wish he would have been, you know what? It's okay. We all make mistakes. Look how far you got. Look how many kids you beat to get up mm-hmm. to almost winning the state. But I didn't hear that. Right. I heard the opposite. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just would have wanted him to say he was proud of me. I don't think I ever heard that. So so what I think we all create things. For me growing up, and I said we have similar stories. And my my imagination is what what was my saving grace, I think. And my kids tease me about it because I tell my kids this. I used to always, especially at night, you remember the show Chips that used to come on? <laughs> yes. Um, Absolutely, chips. yeah. And so I used to lay in my bed and my prayer was that Erica Strata was going <laughs> to come down where I live, sweep me up on his bike and take me away from there. And I wouldn't have to live through that anymore. And I used to tell my kids, I used to be so upset that Erica Strata was not showing up <laughs> to pick me up, to get me out of the crazy that I was living in. But I think when you growing up in a home like that, whether it be alcoholism or physical abuse or any type of addiction abuse, that sometimes we find a safe place in our mind or, or we find that place or we create a story. We create a story that we start to believe ourselves and we pass on to others to get us through what we're going through. You know, what was your coping um, techniques or mechanism that you used? So, so one of the things that was different in my family, my mother raised us Catholic. My father was not part of that. So my mother would send us to catechism and to church. And I started to have a strong faith. And I just kept believing God's protecting me. God's going to get me through this. There's something bigger. Because of everything I'm going through right now, there's something going to be bigger at the other end that is going to make this all worth it. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I mean, everything did always work out. You know, if I, if I needed money for something at the last minute, I needed to go on a school trip, whatever, uh, a relative would come through, something would come in the mail, I'd be able to do it. Even like, like in high school, when I was trying out for the different plays, praying that I would get a role and I would get the lead role, it's, it always worked out, you know, and, and I never had money. So resourceful. My mom was so resourceful, but I just kept, it was God, mm-hmm. you know, it was God. I just kept praying and I have a different relationship with God now or what my belief is. It's grown over the years, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's morphed and, and changed into what I believe it to be today, but that was my saving grace. Mm-hmm. I truly, I prayed, I cried and I prayed a lot and that got me through. Yes, I still, I still find myself from time to time, I will go look in my mirror and I will speak to that little girl, you know, that little girl that want to go be an actress and go to California and find Erica Strauss. <laughs> I still <laughs> find myself, I speak to that little girl. <laughs> but like you said, you know, everything I think that, that we go through, is not for nothing. It's definitely not for nothing. Right. It gets you to where you are right now. Because I'm not saying that we needed to go through that, but we made it through that. You know, you made it through that to right. get you where you are today. And I always say, you never know who you're saving. You never know who you're bringing off the cliff. You just never know, you know, who, who you're touching right now. You just never know. But when I look in the mirror now, and I hope you do too, this, and I say to myself, who would have known? Who would have known but God? that I would have survived and done the things that I've done so far. Who would have known? Because I didn't see it then. Right. And we wouldn't be the people. Yeah, we didn't. You never do when you're going through it. You never see what it's all about. Exactly. And so after you've gone through it, and then you realize I wouldn't be 
who I am today. Exactly. I wouldn't be as resilient, resourceful <laughs> as I am today because of those experiences. I don't regret any of that. You know, I mean, people say, I wish it would have changed. I wish it, yeah, it would have been nice to have had money growing up to be able to have clothes to say, hey, I want to get a class ring. I want to get a haircut every month. I didn't know what a haircut was. We, my mom cut our hair, <laughs> you know? It would have been nice to have all of that. But it doesn't matter today. You know, who I am today is because of who I was, you know, then. And did, did you find yourself, Tim, feeling, did you find yourself feeling a certain responsibility for your younger siblings? I used to always feel that way. I did. Yeah. My little brother will tell me that today. I protected him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was six years younger than me, so I, I protected him. I was his protector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. That's how I used to feel as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. But we've all taken on treats, and I know that you know this. Uh, it's like adult children of alcoholics. Mm-hmm. It's adult children of gamblers, adult children of drug abusers. Adult, it's the same thing. We've all taken on those traits, and that's... That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> and I, I heard you so, say as yeah, well. My brother was the same way. Yeah. And I heard you say as well that your mother grew up with, she had an addicted, did you say addicted father? Yeah. Was an alcoholic. So, yeah. You and know, a whole family. So she's like, she grew up and she married her father. That's what she did. Yeah. I never thought about that. Whew. So, so he, yeah. Yeah. She married her father. Yeah. She grew up and she married her father. Something that she was familiar with. She stayed in her familiar area. That was her familiar space. Uh, you know, alcoholics, addiction. She was, that's what she knew. And so it makes that's sense. That's all she knew. Yeah. So it makes sense that she would grow up and she would marry somebody who was an addict because that's the world that she knows. Mm-hmm. That's what she knew. And oftentimes, you know, if, I if, when I worked with people coming out of prison, I used to always work with men coming out of prison. And I used to say, you know, when your daughter brings that person home that you don't like and you find out, go look in the mirror because she went out and found you because she only knows what you gave her. And she only has learned what you taught her. So when right. she brings that guy right. home and he'd be like, where you get this joker from? Well, that's you, daddy. I went out and got that. I got my dad. I heard so many times women wow. tell me how their boyfriends or husbands or addicts will be used or they sell, but that's usually the world that they come from. And so you can't expect, you know, I often look at it as daddies are the first boyfriend. You're teaching your daughter everything she's going to learn about a man. So it's all about when you're giving her what you're showing her. If you're talking about mom and everything, that's what she told when the guy, the boyfriend calls her names, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. She's familiar because that's what you taught her. You can't tell exactly. her, don't let him call you that. Yep. When she's listening to you call her mom that. So you grow up and you kind of marry what you're familiar, you know? And that sounds like what your mom did in this case. Absolutely. Yeah. And we tend to do that. I think I'm guilty of that as well. <laughs> guilty of that you make make those mistakes <laughs> just to say, did I really just marry my daddy? <laughs> you know, but we tend <laughs> we tend to yeah. do that. I mean, they teach you your mama, your mother and father teach you how to be in a relationship. Exactly. You know, and, you, and that's what you model your relationship. And and oh, it was so tumultuous. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, early on they scream. I mean, it was one of those every day they're screaming and yelling at each other, throwing stuff around, and just. Oh, that was every day, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I remember protecting my little brother, taking him in the bedroom and hiding because they were screaming and yelling. That's all. It was always about money, mm-hmm. always about money. So whew, those are memories, Sharon. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you talk about your little brother. What about your other brother, Tim? You say you had two. It was three boys growing up. 
Yeah, I, I have a <clears throat> I have a middle brother that we have an estranged relationship. We don't speak today. Um, it's funny because I almost don't like don't even know him. Like my entire adult life, we've not had a relationship. I can share with you that growing up, and I remember being in high school and college. He was three years younger than me. He is three years younger than me. He was already on his path of drug addiction. He was drinking alcohol in junior high. Uh, started on drugs, you know, didn't complete high school. And I mean, he started right there at home under my mom and dad's roof. Mm. And that's usually where it starts. Yes. So I, I remember that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Starts right there. So, but yeah, he's there today. That's, you know, he's unfortunately, he's in that situation. He has been all of his life and he's, he's there today in addiction. There'll be a rare occasion. He'll give me a call out of the blue or, or something, but uh, sorry, Pat. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> well, Tim. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's yeah. We, we all. I would just say that we all were affected by the uh, addiction gene growing up. Mm. We all got we all got it. You know, so it, it's we couldn't escape. Well, um, so. Tim, Sharon, and I. We we thank you very yes. much for joining us today. Um, we definitely want you to come back. So I would say this is part one of I Tim's story. Um, if you can come back, we would love to have part two of Tim's story next week. I would love that. That's, that's Absolutely. great. Thank great, you very Tim. much, Tim. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Pat, so much. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, everybody. Thank and I you. look forward to hearing from you, and we'll talk again. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, please tune in next week for Always Something Podcast with Sharon and Pat. Um, if you would like to send us an email, uh, if you have comments or questions or you have a story that you would like to tell, you can email us at alwayssomethingpodcast at gmx.com. That's alwayssomethingpodcast at gmx.com. Sharon, do you have anything to say before we leave today? I just want to say thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your story. I look forward to um, hearing more of it next week. Wow, what an eye-opener. Thank you so much. That's about it for me, Pat. Stay tuned for part two of Always Something Podcast. To overcome and keep on trusting Living in this world is always something Got to overcome and keep on trusting Living in this world is always something The Always Something Podcast with Sharon and Pat